Right, let me pray for us as we open God's word together this morning. Father, I thank you for this time, and I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that you have revealed yourself through your word, and that you've made the path to come to you clear. You have made it uh, to where your people can know you and have fellowship with you. And despite the sin that came with the fall, you have made a way for the restoration of relationship with one another and with you and for wholeness to come into our lives. So Lord, I pray that that would represent who we are as your church and as your people. Help us to, uh, to love your word. Help us to love you and help us to come to you for hope, for help in our times of need. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, so uh, we're going to talk about Isaiah this week, chapter 35, uh, but before we get into Isaiah, I want to talk a little bit about the curse. Uh, it's kind of a, a background topic for this chapter in Isaiah, and really what I mean by the curse is Genesis chapter 3, the fall, and what comes after the fall as God makes these pronouncements to Satan, to Eve, and to Adam in response to what happened in the event of the fall. Uh, but before we even get into that, I just want to talk a little bit about uh, this, this time where we are in in the calendar year right now. It's New Year. We just wrapped up Christmas. There's this increased expectation that comes at Christmas time, isn't there? There's a little bit of uh, ideal idealism as we think about, you know, love, peace, joy, happiness. We look forward to uh, what will come. We look forward to um, something that is in contrast to the fallenness of the world around us. So we realize the, the reality of our lives and of sin in the world, and we look forward to this time when God will make all things right. And so we look at Christ coming, and we, we have an idea, we, have, we know what the season is about, right? That Christ came as God and man, the one who could redeem from our sins, the one who could die for us. That's what the incarnation is about, right? The God-man came to die for us on our behalf. And we see this in Christmas hymns, don't we? We see uh, all these hymns that talk about uh, what things will be like now that Christ has come. And I'm reminded of Joy to the World, this uh, hymn that talks about this sort of thing. And it's really a hymn that Isaac Watts wrote that was a reworking of a psalm. Isaac Watts wrote a bunch of hymns based on psalms, that was, which is one of the things he did. He went through 150 psalms and rewrote them in light of the gospel and in light of Christ. And so that's what we see happening there in Joy to the World. It's Psalm 98 with some selections from Psalm 96 in Genesis chapter 3. But uh, he took that psalm and he rewrote it in light of his understanding of Christ and the gospel. And there we see words like every heart prepares him room. We see joy and gladness there. And then we also see verse 3, which is based on Genesis chapter 3, where it says that thorns and thistles may no longer infest the ground. It says that Far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, that's the, that's the reach of the gospel, right? That it will reach as far as the curse is found. And this is looking straight back at Genesis chapter 3. So there's this realization that we have this, um, 
we're looking forward to a, a better time, right? Yet we realize the effects of the curse are here with us and around us. And there's a little bit of a, of a dichotomy there, right? We, we have this great expectation and hope for the future. And then we have the, the reality of sin that we see in our own lives and in the lives of those around us. And, but the big takeaway is that Christ came to reverse the effects of the curse. That's why Jesus came. So in the end, God will completely remove the curse. We're going to see that from Isaiah 35 this week. So I just want to read a few selections from Genesis chapter 3 to get us going. Um, He says to Satan, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So there we see that there's a, a battle set up, a conflict and you've got the, uh, uh, those who are on Satan's team on one side and those who are the, the seed of the woman or the seed of promise on the other side. And ultimately, that is Christ and those who belong to Christ, right? You also see a promise of redemption here in uh, that he will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So even in the midst of this curse, there's this promise of a future redemption coming. And then we see in the next verse to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you should bring forth children. Now, my wife is 39 weeks pregnant this week. So, um, sorry, honey, it was in the text. So, I couldn't avoid it. Um, It also says, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. You see some relational conflict there, right? We know that we have this broken relationship with God the Father, and then we also have this broken relationship with one another. So there's these multifaceted effects of the curse, and there's still more. We see in the next verse, to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the, f- <clears throat> excuse me, of the field. So there we see even the created order is affected by the fall. Adam was given some amount of, of rule and authority over the created order. And so when Adam fell, there's the effects of the fall affect the heart's of men and women, it also affects even the, the ground, it says. So the effects of the fall affect everything, right? So what we see here is that the first is that the curse is real, right? There's a lot of folks that would like to think that it's not real. We like to ignore that it's there. And if you go look at uh, Joy to the World, look at a modern recording of it, guess which verse is missing, in most modern recordings. It's verse 3. We like to avoid talking about things that make us uncomfortable, right? The problem of evil. So we remove even mentioning the curse. We like to, like to talk about the joy, peace, happiness side. But really, the joy, peace, happiness doesn't really make sense unless it's thought about in light of the curse. So we need to understand the curse. So what we realize is that Genesis 3 is really, it's consistent with what we see around us, right? So when you think about the world, the world makes sense in light of the problem of sin. Many people deny the curse because it makes them uncomfortable, but Christ came to deal with the curse. 
and we have to understand it, that it's real. We also see that it's weighty. The, the effect of the curse, it's not just trivial, but it's something that really affects us. Psalm 14 says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There's none who does good. The curse has a great weight to it. It also extends beyond what we would imagine. In Romans 8, going back to this affecting all of creation, Paul says, this is a passage we'll be getting to in a few weeks in Romans, um, or maybe a couple months, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. So there's that subjection to futility of the creation, and there you see, in hope. Right? That's consistent with Genesis chapter 3. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtained to the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So there we see this future hope of redemption that will affect everything. Right? Okay, so we see that the curse is real, it's weighty, it extends beyond even our own hearts to the world around us. And that takes us to Isaiah chapter 35, which is our passage for this week. If you would turn there, then I'll read it for us. Um, now, Isaiah deals with these topics all over the book. Uh, we're going to look a little bit at Isaiah 6 this week in reference to Isaiah 35. You also see Isaiah 35 is kind of a, a reflection of what comes later in Isaiah. And Isaiah 40 through 66 is this big messianic section of Isaiah. So these thoughts are repeated there multiple times. But what we're going to see is that there, there's imagery here that talks about wilderness and talks about garden. And that's repeated throughout the chapter. And you also see here uh, elements that talk about the fallenness of mankind and them coming to a saving knowledge of the gospel. And these are repeated throughout the chapter. So give you a little bit of an idea of where we're headed. All right, so chapter 35 of Isaiah. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy in singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen weak hands, make firm feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and he will save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For the waters break forth in the wilderness, and the streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes, and the highway shall be there. It should be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall ravenous beasts come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. 
And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, and they shall obtain gladness and joy. And sorrow and sighing shall flee away. All right, that is God's word. So first, let's look at verses 1 through 4. And just reread those quickly. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, and the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Wilderness. It's the first thing that comes up there in the chapter, the wilderness. What we see here is that the creation will be redeemed. How do you respond to death and sin in your life? Do you look forward to the fulfillment of the promise when the wilderness will be removed and replaced with garden? And that's what we're going to see over and over and over again in this passage is the image of wilderness and separation from God contrasted with this image of garden where there's fruitfulness, wholeness, restoration, where the people walk with God? Do you look forward to the fulfillment of the promise? See, God is in the business of reversing the curse. This is the big story of Scripture, the big story of the Bible. When, when you interact with your friends and your family and your neighbors, there will be many who can go most of their lives without really having to deal with the reality of sin. But there will come a point in their life when it will confront them face to face and they can't escape it. And there will be a crisis point in their life where they have to face it. And they may not know how to deal with it. They may not have a worldview to make sense of it and understand it. Because everything they've been told in their life is that sin is not sin. Right? But they see the effects of it. And I would challenge you to know the big storyline of Scripture and to be able to speak into their lives at that point. Be ready for that point in the lives of your neighbors and friends and family when they are confronted with the reality of the curse in their life. So what is that big storyline? God created the world, and it was good. There was garden there. God walked with the people. He knew them, and they knew him. And then man sinned, and there was the fall, and came the curse. But Christ came to redeem from the curse. And ultimately, God will restore all things to be right, the way God intended. There will be garden there. There will be restored fellowship with our God. Right? So know the big storyline of Scripture. Creation and garden. Fall and curse. Christ redeems from the curse, and God will ultimately reverse the effects of the curse. All right? Paul in Galatians chapter 4 talks about Christ and the curse, curses everyone who hangs on a tree. He became a curse for us, Paul says, as it was written. So know that God fulfills his promises and wait for him. All right? This 
in verse 3 and 4, it says, strengthen weak hands, make firm the feeble knees, so that those who have an anxious heart, be strong. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong and fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and he will save you. Your God will come. There's no need to be anxious if you've placed your faith in Christ. So know that Christ accomplishes salvation. He removes the curse. Weak hands, anxious knees, anxious hearts, weak knees. So we live now waiting, but God has said he will come. So remember this, that God is in the business of removing the curse. Then in verses five through seven, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For the waters break forth in the wilderness and the streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, the thirsty ground springs of water, and the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. There again we see this moving back and forth between the salvation of people and the effects on even the land itself. Right? Where there was wilderness, there shall be garden. And the question is, is this an image of wilderness and garden? Is that just an image of fruitfulness in the life of people? Some people would say that. Is it specifically talking about Israel, the Israel coming out of exile? Or is it bigger than that? Is it talking about the whole world? And the argument that I'm making here is that it, it does talk about the whole world because in light of other scriptures, I think you make that argument, uh, and I'll point some of those out as we go forward. But, uh, but there, I think it's multifaceted as well. I think there's some imagery here that affects our life, right? Is your life wilderness or is your life characterized by garden? Where are you? Do you live in the wilderness? Are you okay living with your sin and living with the effects of it? Is that something you've become accustomed to in your life? Don't live in the wilderness. Live in the garden, right? Walk with God. This idea of blind eyes, it's also something used throughout scripture. Isaiah chapter six, where he commissions Isaiah, God commissions Isaiah to go be a prophet. And he uses this blind eyes, make the heart of this people dull and their hearts heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. So here's Isaiah who was sent as a prophet from God with a message and he's told the people will have blind eyes. They're not going to listen. Know that going into it. Right? And then we see when Christ comes, we see that blind eyes are to be opened. It says the recovering of sight to the blind. That's why Jesus came in Luke 4. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. Right. In Isaiah chapter 35, Isaiah is prophesying about a future time when those blind eyes would be opened. Right? Then open eyes of the blind, the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. We see over and over again, you know, when John the Baptist asked Jesus, are you the one? And Jesus replied back, he says, go tell John, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed. So 
even in Jesus' ministry, there's a physical reality of healing, but he was always pointing to how those physical realities point to the spiritual reality behind them, right? So there's a spiritual reality to the opening of blind eyes. And Paul keys in on this. In 2 Corinthians 4, he says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And in Acts 28, Paul's interacting with some Jews who are not hearing the gospel. They're not believing. And he repeats Isaiah chapter 6 to them to make sense of this. And he says, uh, people's hearts have grown dull. With their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes, they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn. And I would heal them. And in Acts 28, verse 28, he says, Therefore, let it be known that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Right? So this opening of blind eyes has a, a bigger picture to it. Right? This is the bringing in of the nations. Right? That people would see and understand the gospel and come to Christ. So we're to understand that with blind eyes, God will save individual people here. And then also, there's this wilderness that becomes garden. So, there's both the land and then there's our hearts involved in this. From death to teeming with life. What we need to understand is that reversing the curse, it brings spiritual life, but it also brings flourishing. And it brings wholeness. It, it changes who we are. Galatians 5 is a good contrast to this. We talk about the fruits of the Spirit a lot, right? You're probably familiar with the fruits of the Spirit. In that same chapter, go back a few verses, there's also the deeds of the flesh. It's actually a contrast there over the course of the chapter between the deeds of the flesh and the fruits of the Spirit. You've got wilderness and garden there. So which characterizes your life? The, the deeds of the flesh, wilderness, or the fruits of the Spirit, garden, where you walk with God, and the, the effects of a heart that's been drawn to God is the Spirit's work in your life that brings fruitfulness. Right? There's garden there. So we are to live as a redeemed people. And reversing the curse brings life, it brings restoration, it brings flourishing. So Christ came to redeem people from the curse, and this is a changed heart and it means fruitfulness as well in people's lives. And then, continuing on in verse 8, and a highway shall be there, and it should be called the way of holiness. And the unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. And even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there. Nor shall there be any ravenous beasts that come upon it. They shall not be found there but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, and they shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall fall away. The way of holiness. This is a highway. This is not just a road. It's, it's a big road, even for this time. Right? It's such a big road, it has a, a name, the way of holiness. And it's obviously clearly marked because even fools find their way. 
right? Proverbs has lots of negative things to say about fools, right? But even a fool can find his way on this highway. That's how clear the way is marked. This is a highway to our God. It says that the unclean will not pass over it, though. Only the clean will pass over it. Those who have been made clean in Christ can come to God on this highway. There's other passages that have similar ideas. Isaiah 40, verse 3, he says, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The opening of Mark's gospel, lest you wonder whether this is applicable to people coming to Christ, the opening of Mark's gospel says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, This is Isaiah 40, verse 3. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. Right? This is an invitation to come to God. And this is why Christ came. He will bring people from among the nations to come and worship our God. So the curse removes, it restores relationship. It restores wholeness. Fools find their way, it's clearly marked. There's no lion, there's no danger there on this highway. The ransom return. There was captivity and they return and they burst out in worship. Their response is to sing and praise and worship God. And there's everlasting joy there. So do you long to see this. Do you long to see the nations come and worship our God? Just briefly, really this is reminiscent of Revelation chapter 21. Just read a little bit out of that. Then I saw the new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepare as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. What does that remind you of? When did God walk with them? Christ walked with them, but in the garden, God walked with them. Right? This is a restored garden here. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying, no no more pain, for the former things have passed away. The former things have passed away. And in Isaiah 35, it says, sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Right? God will make everything right in the end. He will restore all things to right. So know the completeness of God's salvation. We are to see this restoration where uh, it's not just a personal thing. Now, salvation is personal, right? We, we often talk about that, the importance of personally receiving Christ. And I think there is a personal element here that the blind receive sight, right? Um, but understand that there's more facets to the removal of the curse, right? Just as we talked about from... Genesis chapter 3, that the curse has multiple facets. The removing of the curse has multiple aspects as well. It's personal, it's corporate, it's cosmic, meaning it affects the world itself. Right? 
Salvation is both positional, it's where you stand before God, and it's holistic. It affects life, flourishing, wholeness. It's both spiritual and it affects physical well-being, right? If, if you're going to affect the thorns and thistles in the ground, then you're affecting physical things, right? So, do you long to see the restoration of the earth? Do you long to see the complete removal of the curse? And know that what we see now is in part, but also know what is coming, right? The church, it's, it's a display of God's work in the world now, right? We had a study a few months ago where we talked about the church as an embassy of God's kingdom in the world. That's what the church does. It represents God in the world and is kind of a down payment on this first fruits of new creation, right? But in the future, we long for the redemption of the whole world, the restoration of God's kingdom in all the earth. That's Revelation 21, the restoring of the garden, right? So be the church in the world now. Be a family of God to one another. Love one another. Represent Christ well. Care for one another. Are you helping your brothers and sisters to image God in the world well? Is your life representative of garden or is it representative of wilderness? Right? Is it representative of the curse or is it representative of renewal and life? Christ came to restore relationship and wholeness. And though we see now in part, we long for the restoration of all things. So, here we've seen over the course of this chapter, these thoughts oscillating back and forth between these different ideas where one of them is blindness becomes sight. We see the truth of the gospel when blindness becomes sight. We see wilderness becoming garden and there's fruitfulness and sin is done away with. We see separation from God becomes a highway where people have access to God. It's clear. The nations come and worship and they find everlasting joy there. So Jesus came to reverse the curse of Genesis chapter 3. And do you personally know this God? Or do you live with the curse in your life? Remember, God is in the business of reversing the curse. Really, we're without excuse, right? If your world is a wilderness, if you live in sin, then I would plead with you, come to Christ. Don't be comfortable with your sin. Turn to Christ and come to, to him. Even fools can find their way, right? Even those who don't see rightly, uh, it says, can, can find their way on this road. Right. Long for the restoration of the earth. Know that God's salvation is great and it is complete. People are changed. The nations come. The earth is restored. So know what is coming, the removal of the curse and how that affects the whole earth. And for now, we have a taste of what is coming. And so we wait with longing and with patience for it. Right? And understand that a redeemed people means that renewal has come. Blind eyes, receiving sight, means salvation for people. Long for God to do what only he can do, to bring people 
to himself. God will come for you. Strengthen weak hands. Make firm, feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong and fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and he will save you. From wilderness to garden, from death to flourishing in life. Don't live as those who are in the wilderness, but live as those who have received Christ and live in the garden. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the goodness of your gospel and the gift of your son. Lord, may all glory be to Christ that you have redeemed a people for yourself and that you are in the business of removing the curse. You have made a plan for the redemption of the world and you have executed it. So Lord, we look forward to the consummation of that when you will make all things right. And Lord, I pray that for those who do not know you, that you would bring them to yourself and that they would not be comfortable in their sin, that they wouldn't be comfortable living with the curse and that they would know that they need you. Lord, I pray that you would bring people to the point of understanding your gospel. Lord, I pray that they would turn to you in hope. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen.